Let's go. Another podcast or radio station downstairs. Downstairs where? Here? Apartments in this building? There might be. You saw a setup like through the window. Oh, over there? Over here? Over here? First Oh, yeah. There's actually my neighbor downstairs. He does... um, he does some kind of producing or mixing or something like that, okay. and his girlfriend also is. There's actually a lot of musicians who live in this complex. Okay. Okay. There's a ton of them because the rent used to be kind of cheap here. Yeah. But now that Nashville is getting bougie, yeah, everything's getting expensive. What part of town do you guys live in? We're over on the east side, like right by, um, do you know where Cobra is, the new venue? We used to be Fubar. Yes. We live right behind there. Well, oh. Joe and I do, and then Dylan lives. Yeah, I, I live in, like, Inglewood. Uh, okay. Kind of about... Five minutes down the road from Found Object. Yeah, I used yeah I used to live on Baxter Ave in Inglewood, okay. nice. which is right behind that oh, school. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's where yeah, Andrew, Andrew used to live. Yeah, Andrew kind of used to live there. Cool. cool. Well, you guys want to introduce yourselves? We're rolling now. Yeah, yeah. I'm Ron Gallo, singer and guitarist. Singer and guitarist of Ron Gallo the band. Yeah. Uh, I'm Joe Baziri, bassist person of the band, and I am Dylan Seavey, drummer. For RG3. And that's RG3 is the name of the backing band, right? Yeah, it's like a nickname for the for the mm-hmm. band as a unit. And yeah. how, how long have you guys been playing together? Um as it is, uh about a year. A little over a year. When you moved to Nashville? No, before that. Um <clears throat> Joe and I are from Philly, Dylan's from Rhode Island, and we the first time we played together. Um, I called, was actually two different times that I called Dylan with like two days notice because um, I had needed a drummer last minute and so I called him and so he did one show with me like in August. August 2015. Yeah. One day's notice, played a few <laughs> songs together and then I did the same thing to him again in November and that was when it was the three of us and then we did a weekend of shows up in Vermont um, in that area. And uh, that was the first time we played together, and then, you know, it's uh, it's been that for most of the last year. I mean, there's been some fluctuation, but as a steady unit, like, since the summer. So, were you guys playing on the album, or did you find just random people to play, or musicians that you knew to play? How did that work? Yeah, that was mostly friends in Philly, and Joe and I. It was, like, three different drummers and Joe and I, basically. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um... Because it was completely done before I moved down here. And that was before Dylan was in the picture. Okay, so it's been, yeah, you kind of, I think, mentioned that the show has been done for a, a while now. Yeah. 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 So. I play absolutely nothing on the record, and I'm <laughs> credited as such. Yes. Perfect. He's actually credited as playing nothing on the liner notes. Oh, really? Yeah. Every That's funny. Song. On every track. On every song, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's the truth. So. I was reading your website and I saw something kind of interesting, like in your bio, the first, one of the first things that was on there is basically that you have two kind of conflicting wow. life views. One is that, you know, everything is perfect and harmonious and the other one's kind of everything's fucked up. Yes. So does that kind of go into your songwriting or how does that go into your songwriting? Well, so the, the quote from the bio is, is number one, the world is completely fucked, but number two, the universe is inside you. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really just sort of, it comes from a place of personal responsibility, I guess, um, and trying to exist in this chaos, but sort of all you can really do is be in control of your own self in the situation. No one can like wake up one day and go out and like change the entire world but you can change yours transform yours so that's that's kind of where that where that comes from i guess that reminds me of something uh chuck polinick once said do you guys know chuck polinick yeah well he had this quote that was basically uh shoot the films and i'm paraphrasing it's like shoot the films paint the art write the music of the world that you want to live in that's always been something that's really influenced me because when, when I think of something like that, it's just like everything is kind of in a chaotic state right now worldwide. And I think because of the internet, it's just kind of, it's just amplified that. I think it's always been that way. We just know about it now. Yeah, of course. But I think the really the only way to can control anything 
well, I don't know if you really can control anything. It's all kind of just an illusion, but you have to craft the world that you live in and kind of lead by example in your own life. And that, that's the one thing I think in your music that resonates. I think that and you also, to me, it sounds like the new record kind of sounds like, like almost like the, there's like this Texas guitar tone that you have throughout the whole album. It kind of reminds me, I don't know what it reminds me of, but maybe like the old 97s or something like that. I don't know if you ever listened to them. I haven't much, but I know yeah. they are. Yeah. Well, that's what the guitar playing kind of reminded me of, but also definitely sounded like I grew up in Maine, so okay. I played a lot of basement shows in the East Coast, yeah. yes, New England. Yeah. So I imagine that's kind of the same scene that you guys came up in was playing like a lot of basement shows and stuff like that. Yeah, that was definitely a point. I mean, that's always usually the beginning. And Philly was playing, was playing house shows, playing the Mill Creek Tavern. The, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, just wherever we could play, warehouses. Um, but yeah, I mean that's. Uh, I like what you said there. I like what I like what Chuck Palahniuk says there yeah. as well. I mean that's that's really all that you can do, and I'm really glad that it comes across that way. As, as I well. think it definitely does, and I think especially during the show that that part that you had where you put the guitar down. I don't know if you put it down on the ground. Is that yeah, what? Yeah, it, that's yeah. where the, the guitar noise was coming from. I, I was like, I don't see this anywhere. But you did that little monologue, and I was like, yeah, this is, it definitely, I felt like I got it. Um, that's where I kind of got it from. I was like, okay, this is what he's about now. I yeah, that's, um, so that, I can't take credit for, for those words. It's actually a little snippet that we do of a band from Philly called Piss Jeans, and it's uh -huh. a song called Spent. And uh, I really was drawn to that song for that reason. I thought that it really kind of fit into like the whole point of, of sort of what is behind all these songs so it kind of fit in perfectly to go into because it it's together. like it's there's humor to it but it's also so mundane and so real that you can't kind of help but see yourself in it mm -hmm. so it's yeah just kind of raking in examples of that well I think a lot of stuff like that like like your music in general it has like this philosophical kind of overarching thing to it what what are some things that you like you read or listen to that have influenced you to kind of shape these views um let's see well i've uh, let's, it goes back a bit i'm trying to think like towards the course of making the album um listen to a lot of like henry rollins spoken word and reading his mm -hmm. books was something that i really got into maybe like a year and a half ago i I just would listen to him talk and then I went and I started buying all of his books and I was like, this is, at the time I feel like I was really angry so it really, really resonated with me. Um, and uh, I don't know, like watching Andy Kaufman videos and like the way that he toys with people's reality and you're not really ever sure what you're getting but he also uh, is antagonistic of his audience but it's also funny but also it's, it's also lovable. And like people like Jonathan Richman, I think, kind of have that. Modern effect. lovers, right? Yeah, yeah. I think have that, that effect too because he, he's got like such this incredible, like ch almost childlike perspective, mm -hmm. and it's really endearing. Um, it's just so innocent and lovable, and I don't know, it's great. But uh, I don't know what else. Uh, as far as reading and stuff goes, I, I especially over the last year, I've really gotten into reading like. Um, a lot of like uh, I guess quote unquote spiritual texts from India uh, over the last century um, autobiography of a yogi is a book that I'm finishing up now and I've been pretty into this guy Osho who's like a spiritual leader in kind of like the second half of the 20th century um, kind of a freak um, Krishnamurti I don't know all those guys just sort of um, emphasize a lot on like meditation and, and the idea of, of freeing yourself from your own mind. We listen to Eckhart Tolle in the car audiobook. I've heard about him, but I feel like his name's super familiar and I hear about him on podcasts, but what are some of his, I Eckhart? guess, beliefs? Yeah, yeah. Well, the big thing with him, especially one that we listen to, um, and his most famous book is called The Power of Now, but it's this idea of beginning to observe your own mind, which for me, you know, trying to destroy the egoic mind, it's not identify with your mind or your body, but realize that 
the essence of your being is not either of those things. Which is like a really simple thing, but it's not something until you heard it or you think that you should be looking for that that you would ever consider. Um, and so that's kind of where it starts. And also the power of now, like in, in this moment, you know, fear and anxiety and pain only exist in the past or the future. Um, you feel pain because of something that has already happened and you carry it with you. Or you get anxious or you have worry or anxiety about things that have not happened. But right now in this very moment, not, there's, only, there's only bliss if you can be there. But it's so hard for us to be there because we have these overactive minds that we identify with and we pull our entire reality from it. And so it's, it, that's his main thing is trying to separate those two. Um, and be a, be a watcher of your own mind and, and realize that it can be your, your enemy. Uh, and in that, there's a lot of peace, freedom. Is he a big, pretty big advocate of meditation? Um, he is. He doesn't... I, I think that he, he is an advocate for it, but it's not a huge part of his, of his teachings. A lot of it is more like instant. Like when we listen to the audiobook, it's kind of like you have these instant sort of realizations like, holy shit, I never thought to think, you know, to watch my own mind and, and observe his activity and then like realize there's another voice inside and like, what is that? And then just, it's just very like, it's very simple and easy to grasp. Um, you know, whereas like a lot of people are like, you know, um, especially yogis and stuff, it's spending, you know, hours and hours meditating and meditating meditation and trying to, so... He's less on that. It's more accessible by like people that live, I think, in our society. society. Yeah. yeah, this quick pace Western internet, culture. The Western culture. Yeah. yeah, it's much more accessible. So, how often do you meditate? I try to every day. Um, yeah, it, even if it's for ten minutes, twenty minutes. Last night I did forty-five minutes, and it felt like five minutes. I don't know. I try to, I try to make a point to do it. Um, because it's always beneficial and anybody can justify like how you don't have time to do something like that but you always have time to do something like that I think um it's like for a while it's like Joe and I and a couple of friends of ours were going to to Bikram Yoga in over at East Nashville the high yoga place and, mm-hmm. and doing that and that was really really intense because of Groupon though we haven't really been back <laughs> is it is it expensive <laughs> well it is if you don't have like the deals yeah it's like 15 bucks a class, which that adds up if, you know, three yeah. Going, but yeah. I mean, you yoga like every day or something pretty much. Yeah, really. yeah. I've never done yoga before. I kind of want to try it though. Yeah. It's, it's a cool, yeah, it's, it's good. Just Isn't focusing it? on your body. So I have a question about that. What, what exactly do you mean by focusing on your body? Because I also hear that it's very cognitive too. Well, yeah, I mean, for me, it's like, thought clearing in a way like whatever kind of shit's going on up here like if you're just paying attention to you know what's right in front of you and what you're actually feeling this kind of starts to clear out and then like things do start to filter back in but it's I don't know um it's you know getting rid of like just kind of recycled anxieties or whatever like just it's like oh that thing again why are you even concerned about that sort of thing Mm -hmm. yeah yeah wipes the slate clean clean the slate I would say the most psychedelic experience I've ever had I did I did this this form of, of therapy is called EMDR have you guys ever heard of this before I, a friend of mine uh, Kristen actually just told me about this hmm. it's fucking incredible this is where you like tap in certain rhythms and stuff and, yeah, yeah. And, it, and it like revisits past memories whether from childhood or if yeah. you got into a car accident or something like that and relives those traumatic experiences and it basically rewires your brain. That's incredible. Um, but I just think it's kind of interesting because after I got through with it, the first time I did it, the next day, you know, it's so easy to just get annoyed by whatever's going on, just people and their bullshit. But people and their bullshit, I started feeling it, like why they were having that bullshit. Like I started be like, oh, like she said that because of, something like a relationship that she had in the past or something with her dad or something that she's holding on to. And that to me, like, as soon as I walked out of that place, that first time after it was done, I was just like, holy shit. I never experienced anything like that. Cause I tried meditation and everything like that before, but this pulls out some deep rooted shit and it like, it clears off that third eye. 
<laughs> like the gunk on the third eye. Yeah. So I think it's interesting. I think everybody should be required to do it. No, that's really awesome. I mean, that's, it sounds to me like that's the surefire way to learn compassion for all people because you were able to go back and revisit while you had your shit. And exactly. Why. And yes. so when you can do that, then you can realize that that's where everybody else's shit yes. is coming from. Yeah. And that's sure. the point. That's like the whole thing. It makes you more sympathetic, yeah. a lot more empathetic. I, I yeah. think for me, sometimes I can be, I can just be callous and not give a fuck or whatever, but. Once I started doing that, it kind of changed the game for me. That's great. Because I, I felt like I started approaching life differently. Like I always feel like I've been on a journey, like always trying to better myself, just be different than I was, try and improve upon what I'm doing. And I think naturally as the life of an artist, you're going to be facing some struggles and hardships and you're going to want to write about them or, or whatever. And that was one of the things that when I did it, I don't, I don't really know how to explain it. There's no way to explain it. Basically, what they, they did was like, I sat there and they put these two things in my hands that vibrated and I just had on, it's like this clicking noise, this yeah. weird rhythm. And I don't know how it works. I don't know any of the science behind it. But it impressed me. It could all be just be voodoo magic and not actually exist, but it works. It works, it works, yeah. Yeah, if it works, it works, exactly, yeah. Absolutely. Man, that's really, really cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty life-changing. But back to the album. It just came out um, on Friday, yeah. February 3rd. Yes. Because now album releases are on Fridays. Yeah, yeah. So the music industry is kind of changing. When this whole thing was coming up and you knew that you were going to finally release the record, what did you have in mind for releasing it? Were you like, did you not know how to approach the situation? Or were you like, should I release video singles? Well, um... When Joe and I finished the album, uh, we were sitting on it for a while, and then it got to a point where I was like, I won't, let's just do a self-release. I want to do a self-release. I want to find a way to acquire enough funding to just get them made and get some PR. And I actually hired like a, 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 a publicist to start working things and, mm -hmm. and getting it out there. And then oddly enough, like a month or two into starting to develop that plan was when started talking with the people at New West, which is the label that the record came out on ultimately. Um, and so that's, that's, what, that's what's weird is the music industry is the kind of thing where nobody likes to take the first jump. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. and so, and, and that's where I give a lot of credit and, and really um, thought it was incredible is that, that Kim from New West was like the first person in a label or a booking agency or like in the music industry that before anything was really going on, stepped into the picture and like was showing interest and like saw what this could be. And, and that was really cool because you know, that's a, that's a risky thing to do because you know, everybody's just like, I need to see if it works first. I need to like make sure that other people think that it's okay about everything. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's, it's a lot of bullshit. Um, but that was really cool because she came to the picture and you know, we got breakfast one day and she's like, you know, I was living in Nashville at the time, and she's like, I want to talk to you about working more seriously with the label. And then, uh, you know, I was like, I called these guys, and I was like, yo, have you met a guy for his first record deal? Holy shit, cool. And I like, wasn't sure what was going to happen, and we didn't didn't do anything with it for months, but but thought about it, knew that it was in the picture, and like just continued touring and cultivating our own thing. Um, but it's really awesome because they know what they're doing and they have a system and they have resources. And so when it comes to kind of strategizing, you know, it's cool to have like a whole bunch of people that are pros have been doing this forever. Kind of like handle it. Yeah. Um, and you know, and, and, you know, being on the creative side, like, you know, we have our little battles that come up where we're like, well, no, like we want it to be this song or want the video to be this way. And, you know, so in the beginning it was, but, but now that things have, you know, we've done a few music videos that have gone really well. Like there's a, there's a mutual trust there. So it's like, we, there's a lot of creative freedom, but there's also like a cool infrastructure and, and, and people that can help us do what we want to do. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Like a lot of fighting on how to present the entire thing. Yeah. I feel like that thing and just yeah. like a give and take kind of thing. Like, you know, yeah. That, that idea of like, they want to make us squeaky clean is actually kind of semi-real. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean not squeaky clean, but you know. What I mean. But yeah, you know, 
It's like a tamer. Tamer yeah. presentation. Trying to reach the kids, gotta fuck it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think with the music business now, Nashville is a town that I, I really love sometimes and other times. Not so much. Um, <laughs> just because everybody here, it always feels like they're fucking hawking something right at you, trying to sell themselves. And I mean, I'm guilty of that too. We all, we all kind of have to do it to a point. Right. But it's trying to figure out how to do that honestly and genuinely where I can see where the struggle is, especially creatively once you're bringing in all these business people, which is good because they have the funding. But yeah, it can be stressful to figure out the middle ground. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's you know, art, combining art and commerce is stupid. It's like It's like making a living off of people's emotional responses to sonic airways when you really break it down to yeah. this weird thing. Um, but it's a whole game. There's a whole game to it, and it's it's pretty gross. I mean, you know, being the people that make the music and, and play the shows, it's like, we were doing this because we love to do this and because we have to do this, and, you know, creativity is important to us. And then everything else around that is kind of like, well, shit, like, how do we... How do how we eat? Do, yeah. yeah. Yeah, when you That's decide you want this to be your living, it's like it becomes mixing that super sacred creativity and thing that you love with also kind of playing a weird game where you're like, mm-hmm. okay, we well have to logistically, like the, you can't just sit around and, and write songs. Like you have to actually have, you know, a presentation to it and, and the, the, the ability to put it out into the world. So I guess we're, we're figuring out and it's been really cool. I mean, cannot, nothing but, but grateful for how it's, how it's going so far. Yeah, I mean, I I first heard of you. Um, I was on NME a couple of months ago, and I saw you were on the on the front page of NME. I think so. Yeah, I didn't I even th- know about that. I think that's where I first saw it at, and I I saw it in Rolling Stone like a couple of weeks later. Maybe it was it was either Rolling Stone or NME. I saw it on their website. I didn't know about either of those. Yeah, so. yeah, because I saw it, and I just saw a picture of you standing in the back of the truck holding a guitar, and I'm like, that looks like Broadway. Was it NPR? I definitely saw it on NPR, but I could have swore I saw it, it on something else too. I could have swore I saw it on something else because oh. I saw you a couple places. Okay, and I was like, the, "This guy's in Nashville. This is really good." Oh, no shit! So the the please yourself the Broadway video was the intro. Yeah, that That's was really the, cool. that was the first thing I saw, and then I started kind of going back, and I saw you had the new record coming out, and then I heard uh, "Young Lady, You're Scaring Me," and I thought this is great. Cool. Because what it, when I first heard it, it got me really excited because I, I grew up in a small town in Maine. Mm-hmm. And they had this this uh, college radio station where you were allowed to be a DJ at. They would just let anybody be a DJ. But right. they would always play shit on the radio. Like at 2 or 3 in the morning, you'd be out driving around. And they would, you would hear like the cramps. And then you would hear stuff like that. And it always just reminded me of that. And there's this um, – it's in basically like this little basement. This super <laughs> – exactly how you'd imagine uh-huh. it to be is what it was. And that's yeah. the feeling that your music gave me when I first heard it was I was like, that's this is awesome. totally what it reminds me of. Like, I remember being like 17 in my hometown, just hearing shit on the radio for the first time and experiencing it. And it's weird because you, there's not a lot of record stores or anything like that. So I actually had two kind of exposures growing up. It was this one, this place called Bull Moose, which yeah. is famous in Maine. Yeah, yeah. If you, yeah you're from New England, so you, you know about it. Yeah. And then, um, and then the radio station, like they always just had the weirdest stuff. Were you so, from Portland? I was pretty mm-hmm. close to Portland. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was about a half hour north of Portland. What's the okay. city? Brunswick? Yeah, I know Brunswick. Yeah, it was at Bowdoin College. W-B-O-R. Okay, yeah. Bowdoin College. Yeah. Yeah. So, have you been up to Maine before? Been to Portland maybe two times. Did a show at, what's that place called? One Longfellow Square. It's above an uh, an Asian restaurant. Empire. Empire. Yep. Yeah. I've played some shows there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Portland's a cool town. It's kind of funny because I don't know how long ago you went. Uh, two summers, two three summers ago. Okay, so it wasn't that too long ago. But it's funny. Maine is becoming like a cool place to be, which it never was when I was growing right. up because it's so fucking cold. No one wants to go up there. Yeah. But um. Now there's like so many great restaurants, so many great bars. Maine's yeah. fucking awesome. Yeah. My dad is from Bangor. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I've spent a lot of my childhood up in Bangor and then we have a house in Greenville up in Moosehead Lake. Yep. 
so on and so forth. Okay, yeah. so you know how beautiful and amazing Maine is. Maine, Maine yeah. is the best, and people are missing out if they don't go there. Yeah, it's funny because it's so isolated. Like, no one ever goes there unless they're yeah. either from there or they're on vacation. Yeah. That's right. great. Yeah. Yeah, Bull Moose. Bull Moose. I actually, I'm, I'm going to be going home next week to Maine, and I'm going to have, a, like, one of the guys from Bull Moose on the podcast. Hell yeah. Nice. So that's pretty exciting, because the thing about Bull Moose, and maybe maybe you can you can talk about this a little bit, too, but it's such a weird record store, because there's, it's the best record store I've ever been yeah. to, hands down. They, it's a chain, basically in northern New England. Yeah, there's one in Portsmouth, too. Oh, that's the, yeah, that's okay. The yeah, Portsmouth, yeah, yeah, there's one in okay, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, too. Yeah. It's a great store. Yeah. And they have, I think, a big part of why they are the way they are is because they have this software called something, or I think it's called like Fieldstack or something like that. Mm -hmm. And they basically, um, they see what people are buying in the store and they order based on that. Oh, okay. So all the stuff though, like half the stuff is used in the store. So you'll get used CDs. Like I got this Ennio Morricone, I don't know if you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I fucking love him, but I got this weird compilation from him, and that was like my first exposure to it because they had it at Bull Moose for two dollars. That's awesome. Yeah, and nice. you can go there and you can trade it in. You get store credit. Yeah. I probably lost so much money in that store. <laughs> I don't even care, but it greatly shaped the way I do music. And yeah, that's kind of what I was saying. Is like when I first heard your stuff, it, it kind of reminded me of that weird college radio. I, I like that a lot. Yeah, I like that. That's how. It, how you react to it. Everything's kind of stickered and dingy and playing that's in a basement. That is exactly. I mean, that's kind of the beauty, really, of the um, of the local record. You know, Bull Moose is technically a chain, but for all intents and purposes, it's a local yes, store. Yes, exactly. Um, and in college radio stations, you know, in this day, you know, so many uh, radio stations are owned by Clear Channel and, and a lot of those other big conglomerates and, you know, you know, they have their purpose and everything, but at the end of the day, like, music, the best music is heard and spread by people who care and people who are really paying attention. And, you know, a lot of people bemoan the state of current music because it's set up, you know, where there's a lot of bullshit being played on Top 40 Radio. But the thing is, that bullshit's always existed. You know, back in 1970, you got to hear, you know, the Stones and the Alma Brothers and bands like that. On, they were the Top that, 40 That was Top 40, bullshit. and it's not like that anymore. But there's just as much great music being made today. Yes. You just, you need to seek it out that way. Mm -hmm. um, you gotta dig for it. Exactly. And so, it's really great, um that there is still, even though it's a little more uh, underground and not as much in the public eye, you know, the college radio stations, the um, independently run radio stations and record stores, um, to kind of keep that alive and to turn people on to shit they've never heard, um, Well, which is really beautiful. It's funny to me now, thinking, I, my mind just jumped to 10 different places, but it's <laughs> almost like YouTube is the new record label. Like YouTube and Spotify are the new Pandora. Yeah, yeah, all yeah. of them because that's the way that people are discovering music now. I mean, that's the way I've discovered a lot of music that I listen to. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and things are just changing. Well, it's really it's really cool. You know, you get those Discover Weekly playlists and you find stuff out like that. Like there are multiple songs. You know, we'll all be on the road and like Joe will put on his you know Discover Weekly or his like top songs of twenty sixteen. Like a Casman Combs song will come on, and I'll be like what the fuck is this? This is great, you know, and I'll shazam it so I can remember it. Yeah. And, like, and like, it's, it's, it's a beautiful little cycle. And I think that that's really helped us too. You know, yeah, a, been... a lot of people recently have kind of been like, oh yeah, you know, you showed up on our Spotify yeah. playlist or, right. or, you know, on the YouTube suggested, yeah. whatever. The, the please yourself, the NPR piece on that, the video where we were in the mm -hmm. back of the truck, that I think has maybe done the most wonders for us, arguably. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird because so many people have said how oh, the internet has killed everything, and for a really long time, I just kind of felt like all the music that I was a part of in any band that I was ever in was just getting lost in the swamp of the internet, it was like ruining our pursuit, it was making everything so hard, and blah. but recently have seen the other side of that where the internet yeah. has really worked. Yeah. Because, like, we'll go play shows in New Orleans and Birmingham, which have been cities that have been really tough to get crowds out, and, and, and they were, we were headlining the shows, and people had to pay to get in and get tickets, and, and 
there were really good crowds there and a lot of people were like, well, I saw that, that, that please yourself video of you guys in the truck in Nashville. Like, and it's, or like, Oh, Spotify, you just showed my Spotify thing. And I heard the song and I was like, fuck yeah, I want to go see the show. And that's so weird to hear because for so long, it's always worked against. Yeah. Against you. And because there's now, all that other shit yeah. out there. That people when, hear, when, you yeah. can, when you can cut through, it's like the most amazing tool that would not otherwise, you know, exist. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. I think we're living personally in the most fucking exciting time for music. For sure. I mean, there was definitely a golden age. I can't argue that. I mean, there's just so many great records from Mm -hmm. the fifties, sixties and seventies, the eighties. Not a big (laughs) fan of eighties music. Um, and even stuff into the nineties, um, and the early two thousands and I think there's just so many naysayers out there. And even in Nashville, this is one of the things I don't like about it is you go out to play and everybody is either old and pissed off that they never made it or young and pissed off that they haven't made it yet. Yeah. And you can just feel it, the heaviness on them. And some of these guys, are, they're super, and girls are super talented, but it's just, uh, I feel like you're shooting yourself in the foot sometimes when you take that mentality that this is not going to work because it doesn't end up working. And another reason that you kind of stuck out to me is your philosophy is the exact opposite of that. And, um, you definitely, um, just kind of hearing what you have to say, you definitely have like an East coast work ethic. Yeah, yeah. You can, you can Thank feel, you. you can feel it in the music too. No, that's really cool. I mean, it's about not having expectations. I mean, I, I've spent a lot of time being like, why, why isn't this working? Why isn't this working? Why is sitting in my room? Why, why, why? Uh, what's wrong with me? Self doubt. Uh, there's actually a song on the record about that. But, but then it was like, it's all about your expectation. And you know what it really is even more so than that? It's about making the best shit that you can. And until you do that, until you make something that's like starting to tap into your potential, it's not going to click with people. And so that's what I look back now. It's like all the records that I've made throughout time. Every time I made something, I was like, this is the best thing I could ever do. And the truth is, is that it was the best thing I could make at the time, but it wasn't the best thing that I could do. So it wasn't ready yet. So it takes, it takes a while. I mean, you have to really love it and you have to stop being like, why isn't this working out for me? And if it's not working in one way, change it up. Try something else new. Like take responsibility for why it may not be working the way that you want it to work. Um, and it always comes back to the stuff that you're making. I mean, that's it. You know, it's music. Nobody ever has to give a shit about it. No one has to like it. It's not a requirement. It's not a necessity. So in order to, if you want people, you have to bring something to people. You have to bring something that they, they need or they want or have something that, you know, that you can contribute to their lives. So they can feel. Yes. So they can feel. If you're making music for your own vanity because you live in New York City and you want to start a cool van because it looks cool and it, that's what you think that you should do. It comes across. Yeah, it comes across. And who needs that in their life? Nobody needs that. But um, I think for the three of us, like we don't really have any other choice. Like We can't really do anything else. Um, we're completely <laughs> incapable of, of doing other things. Um, and so... plunge the toilet pretty good. That's, see, that's good. And you learned that. You learned that recently. <laughs> I can make pretty good garlic noodles. <laughs> These are all survival skills that These you are all need. Survival skills. Yeah. yeah. I think the mentality of not um, pigeonholing yourself is really important too, just to kind of piggyback off of what Ron was saying, you know, recognizing, like, I, I think that's an extremely true statement. Like, just because something is the best you can do at a given moment doesn't mean it's going to be the best you can do ever you know we're always evolving and changing as artists and as people and you know i know for me personally um where i am now with with this group and getting to be a part of this which is really great and exciting it ultimately happened because i forced myself to take a step back and look at what i was doing and the way i was approaching it and just saying like okay this isn't working for me it's or it's not working the way i want it to so what are my other options, you know, because I've been saying my whole life, you know, there's no plan B for me, music is it. And even though I still feel that way, it was kind of just recognizing like, okay, well, I only have option A, but I have option 1A, 1B, 1C, 1D, you know, there's so many different ways I can go about this and expand my horizons. And and pretty quickly after I was able to realize that, I 
fell into this and, and that was really exciting and um, I think I mean I think that's a part you know it doesn't even just apply to this or to music I think it's a, an important part of of everyone personally you know your own personal growth and uh, professional growth because um, I, I think as soon as you pigeonhole yourself or or you say like well this is it this is it for me I'm done then you start yourself. Then you are done, and yeah. that's not good. <laughs> Absolutely. So going back to something you were kind of talking about a few minutes ago about kind of growing as an artist and reaching your potential, it sounds like there was some kind of mental shift that you were able to get to to do that. How were you able to, not necessarily how were you able to do it, but what events led within yourself to get to the point where you can start reaching your full potential? Um, I think there's the element of honesty in the writing, like actually just being very real with what you're actually going through. Yeah. That was, that was a big difference I noticed. That was, that was everything. Stop no longer hiding. Um, you know, taking that leap and like taking the leap within and being like, okay, let's get into that ugly shit. Scary. That you haven't been looking at. Yeah. Look at the world around you. Like... You know, why would you walk down the street and see something that's, like, really real and really potentially fucked up and dark and something that's reoccurring? And why would you go home and write a song that's not about that? Or why would you not talk about that or confront it? And so, yeah, this this is absolutely the first time that I have really, like, started to kind of be honest in that, in that regard um, and just kind of, like, put everything into it. Uh, and it may only be, be the beginning and, and there's always room for more growth than that, but it's certainly the beginning there. And all, I mean, a lot of life events led to it. I mean, a lot of, you know, relational, um, emotional, personal, um, sure. Yeah. Life. Li- li- yeah, yeah. That thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Life, life in, you know, especially life in Philly, the last couple of years that I was there, like really broke me open in a lot of ways and showed me a lot of different angles of life that I really didn't see before. And so that really, I think opens you up a bit, um, you know, to either like curl up and die and hide from it or to like face it and, and see what you can learn from it. And, and, uh, you know, and just grow with what's being given to you. And so, you know, here here we are. It's, you know, this, this record is talking about a lot of heavier stuff, I guess. At least Heavy for meta. me. That's yeah. a great title, too. Thank you. I thought that as soon as I saw the title, I was sold on it as soon as I saw no, the title. That's, that's, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, but it's... It's always scary, I think, when you start to really delve into it. Someone I feel like who did that recently and who has been doing it. Are you guys Tame Impala fans at all? I am. I'm sort of like an exterior. Like I've heard stuff and I've liked stuff. I never really like dug into it too much. But yeah. uh, it was not. I think maybe 2016, 2015, something like that. That record Currents came out, mm. and I felt like that was some next level shit. Because what I started hearing was this this person embracing the flaws within themselves and like making it really personal and putting it on the record. Like the first song on the album is called let it happen. And it kind of sounds like a hurricane swirling and it's just, he's singing like, let it happen, let it happen. And I think that's what it kind of also reminds me of is just this thing of life. Life, life doesn't care. No. It's almost like life is, life is immoral in its assessments uh, of you and it's just going to do whatever it's going to do. Yes. It doesn't care if you're on the way to a date and you get a flat tire. It doesn't care about your mom or about your dad. It doesn't care that you had a new record come out. No, it doesn't. It's just merciless. Well, yeah, and I think that it's always going to give you exactly what you need at any given time. It's it's more about you surrendering to it and letting it letting it take control Mm -hmm. because that's where conflict, that's where like depression, anxiety, and and all this pain and suffering comes from. Is you trying to combat what is the resisting what is because if you don't resist. If you can live your whole life being okay with every single thing that has ever happened to you, that is total freedom. Like, that's the greatest place. And uh, so you're right. It's doing its thing, and it's either you're going to get on board with life, or you're going to try to not, and you're going to try to fight it and make it how you think it should be or you want it to be. And so, 
We Eckert. are currently in Eckert land. We are. <laughs> yeah, we're going deep. Hey, uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's a huge part of it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting time because I feel all of these things that we're talking about are really starting to come to a head just in our generation. Yeah, and I, I think partially it's due because we grew up with all this technology and being so disconnected from each other that in a way it, it's almost made us focus on the within perhaps more than other generations right. because we've never been more disconnected from experience, just the one-on-one than now because there are so many right. distractions. Yes. You're absolutely right. Um, I like you're seeing, you're seeing like the long long-term beauty of like whatever mess that we're kind of living in like the unknown yeah yeah because it takes it takes some like some darkness and some pain and some bigger shit to have like the awakening that people need like no one it's like if you're you're not gonna like eat really well and sleep a lot and take take your vitamins when you're feeling great but when you're sick is when you're gonna really get your shit together and figure out okay mm-hmm. how, do I, how do i improve this so you know maybe with everything that's going on like politically and socially and the internet and all the stuff becoming like all coming to a head is like maybe we need to become so ill as a society to really make it turn around i think that's what we're doing is we're starting we're starting to like the, the to purge yes it's like when you get food poisoning and yes. you just end up puking it all out, and then you were like, "I'm never going to that restaurant ever fucking yes. again." Yes. That's what I feel like as a whole planet. That's what we're, we're doing, doing right now. That's beautiful. I love, I love that. So I, I think we're living in, a, in an extremely exciting time. Absolutely. It's scary as fuck because we see it all the time now. Like it's just nonstop. That's one thing I personally have trouble with is how nonstop everything is. It's just like you have to make that time to shut shit off and be creative. Of course, you do. So I don't know. What do you guys? What do you guys think of everything that's been going on? I guess politically, socially, with Trump getting elected, all of that. What are your thoughts on it? Really, what we just said. Um, <laughs> I mean, seriously, everybody is so caught up in in the noise and in the hysteria and all this. But it, these are universal human problems that are because we're human beings and they've been going on forever. And. Everybody can place all of their energy on the outside and like I'm gonna I'm gonna make a clever sign and I'm gonna make a really amazing Facebook post But the only fucking thing that matters is What you're doing internally what you're doing in the, in the world around you how you're treating people like Nothing has changed and and really what we were just saying like this purge like it's all, I think it's all part of it I think it you know it, it's not great and, and, and I and I hope it doesn't affect you know people on a large scale as negatively as it does but it's also a huge opportunity to like really wake up and see what's going on and take responsibility and like stop depending on these fucking self-proclaimed powerful people um the lizard people yeah man it's yeah. like I'm not, and I'm not trying to be ignorant to it. it. It's like, but it's about, it's not about ignoring it. It's about going beyond it. Um, I think. Cause the grand scale. Yeah. This is just one tiny fraction in time. It is. It was funny as soon as, well, I started, as soon as Trump got elected, I started thinking back to like the Obama years cause it fully sunk in that those were over. And that was like a big part of my youth. That, that was eight years. That's almost a decade. Yeah. So it's, I started thinking about the time from the time that he got elected to the time that he left office and how different the American climate was and how di- like art almost got a little bit too lazy in that time period for me. Of course it did. Everybody so, did. Yeah. Everybody was complacent. Yeah. Everybody's that's out, that's everybody, the perfect yeah. word for it. Everybody's at fucking happy hour. Everybody's getting wasted Friday through Sunday and everybody's like, fuck yeah, man, oblivion, oblivion, oblivion. No, it's over. It's Maybe dark. this is what people need. It's done. It's over. So they'd stop fucking riding the conveyor belt through life. And now you have to actually walk and you have to learn how to do it again. And like, stop just expecting that everything's going to be taken care of for you. Um, yeah. Where do you think that kind of that mentality or that work ethic came from in you? Is that something that you've always had in you from childhood? Is that something that you had like a mentor or a parent instill in you? Um, I'd probably attribute it to, to having a lot of energy as a kid, but also like my, my dad 
my dad works his ass off and doesn't he was never the kind of guy to like spoil or or give give us anything you had to earn it we had to earn it yeah everything was very um you know and i think that he knew that i think that you know regardless of like if he had the means and you know everybody lived really comfortably but but he didn't like make it easy because of that um, I like that. Yeah, it was awesome. And, and now I get it. Now I see, like, how it kind of manifests itself. Because I was an asshole as a kid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and my, my mom's the same way, too. Like, they're both, like, these hyper-energy, uh, everything's got to be neat, no one can relax, everyone's always got to be doing something, kind of. They're, like, both those kinds of people. Um, so, I don't know. I guess that's, you know, and also just being, like, motivated by... Um, you know, being 40 and, and playing, uh, you know, at the, at Applebee's, you know what I mean? Just having a fear of that, you know what I mean? Having a fear that like now is the time to strike and get it, get on your shit and try to get it together if you want to do something. Cause it's not, you know, you're not getting any younger kind of thing. So combination of those two, like motivational fear. Yeah. I think for me. Uh, my dad, he was a shipyard worker growing up. Like he built ba- he was in the Navy for 20 years. And then when he retired from the Navy, he built battleships for the Navy. And that's a huge part of the culture of where I grew up. There's this town, Bath. You've yeah. been through Bath, right? Yeah. yeah. It's kind of a methy town, I'll be honest. Um, it's a bunch of shipyard workers. Yeah, yes, Bath salt is hysterical. But um, he always just kind of instilled in me, like, if you're going to do something, do it completely. He said, he didn't want me to be working at the fucking shipyard when I grew up. That was the one vibe I got from him. He was like, this is not a future for you. So Mm -hmm. if you want to do music, do music because no one's going to do it for you. And I was pretty lucky to have mentors growing up too. I had really good teachers. Um, I personally have been playing since I was, I was 13. When did, when did you start playing? Probably around there. Guitar, trying, trying it out. Yeah, trying it out. Taking some lessons, learning Blink One Eighty Two, Green Day songs. So that was like where you started out at. Yeah, me too. How old are you? Twenty nine. Twenty nine. Okay, so it was like right in the probably, geez, American Idiot era. Was it or pre that? Pre that. Yeah, I remember like Nimrod. Oh, okay. Anima of the state. Yeah, Anima oh, of the state. I was a huge fan of both of them. I don't really listen to them anymore. Every now and either. then. I'll go back and listen to them, but it's funny as you grow as a musician, maybe you can attest to this too, is that your, your taste change. Oh God. Yeah. It just gets completely, completely different in a huge way. Yeah. yeah. All the time. Cause there were things that I heard when I was 14 that someone tried to show me, I'd be like, fuck this. I'm not interested. And then five <laughs> years later it became my favorite record. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. It it's is weird. really, really weird. It's kind of like what you were saying earlier. It, it kind of reveals itself to you the same way with music when you need it. It's gonna it's gonna appear right in front of you and yep. say this is it. Absolutely. Like one album for me that I always hated in a band I always fucking hated that I ended up loving was Arctic Monkeys. <laughs> okay. Like their album Humbug, it was produced. Do you know that one? Is that the first one? I'm only really familiar with the very first one they ever put out. That's the third one. It was produced by Josh Homme from Queens of the Stone Age. Okay. So it was like a really dramatic departure from their their previous two records because like. I can geek out about them now, but their first two records, their first record was really about hating the music scene yeah. um, and everybody hyping them in England even before they released anything. The second one to me was about dealing with all the, all the jadedness of fame. And then the third one is just like, they got weird and did mushrooms in the desert with Josh Homme. That's awesome. But that's when they started, I started really hearing something in them and I just think he's a clever lyricist and all that. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I always thought so too that when I was in college, like probably sophomore year, that first, they first came out that first record, and like that was what everyone listened to. Mm-hmm. That was like a big time for like indie dance rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah those those years, years, there were some great yeah. bands in, the, in those years, like Franz Ferdinand. Yeah, all that yeah. stuff. That was like, I fucking love them. The Bravery, they were also yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah. all but, that stuff. Drinking Sparks. Who who is it? There was this, I remember like in college, there was this drink called Sparks. Like when I was a sophomore in high school, it was like an energy, alcoholic energy drink. Oh. It was weird. Like I just remember like all those That led to a lot of deaths. 
Oh, it's bad. <laughs> it's really, really bad. Um, what is that like? You're getting that upper and that downer at the same time. I don't. Yeah, I don't even know. It was. I was just being like a dumb college kid. Right yeah. Then. But I remember all of that music and like parties, like it all bundled into one. It's like this very nostalgic, like period. a blur kind of. Yeah. Like, being eighteen, like mm-hmm. in the house for the first time. Mm-hmm. Those days are over. Those days are <laughs> over. Now, now you have responsibilities. Oh, absolutely. Well, not really. <laughs> so did you guys always know that it was going to be music that you wanted to do? I know you kind of said that that was always plan A for you. Yeah, you know, I, I think when you're a little kid, you always have, you know, I wanted to be a basketball player for a little bit. I'm sure, I yeah. I a paleontologist for a little bit, but yeah, I was eight. I heard the White Album and Nirvana Unplugged, and I've never been the same. And I've never done anything else. I tried convincing myself for a little while that I was going to be a journalist and a writer. And that lasted all of a year in college. Yeah. So that didn't really work. I think, <laughs> I think in, a, in a way, if you're doing music right, you are kind of being a journalist. That's what I always liked about The Clash. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It really is cool because it can be kind of everything. Yes. It really can. I mean, you make you make visual things. It is a visual performance. You play a show. It's sonic. There's writing to it. It's cool. It's like film is probably the one that really combines. You can really combine everything. But like music is close in that regards to to being pretty free. All the mediums. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, no, I've never I've never wanted to do anything else. I don't know about them. I just for the longest time I didn't think it was possible. So I. To do music as a career full time? Yeah, I could never envision how to do that. You know, it just seems like such. It a, seems so elusive. It does. Seems yeah. Such an impossible goal. Um, how do you can kind of break through to the point of doing that? But you know, I, I went to school. I graduated from Temple. I went for communications and mass media. I didn't learn anything, but I thought the same thing. Like I'll just get like well, I'll, I like writing, so maybe I'll do that. Or I'll take art classes and. You know, I think deep down, I kind of always knew that I wanted Eddie from the very first band I was in sixteen. Like I always was kind of wanted it to. I wanted to make something out of it. Um, but you know, there's times like I want to be like a secret agent or a real estate agent. <laughs> some kind of agent. Some any kind of agent would be fine. Like any. It makes you sound official. Orange. Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's my dad's like, hey, we got an opening at the company, and I'm, I had to, you know, tell him, hey, listen, man, it's not for me, man. You don't fucking understand. <laughs> Working restaurant jobs and you know, like whatever. My dad, Cleaning houses. I would do that. I did that before I moved down here from Philly. I really enjoy that. So you did a b- bunch of like odd jobs that mm-hmm. you guys always had. Well, you've I, always I been mean, producing yeah, and that's recording. my backup plan for playing music was to record music. <laughs> <laughs> That see that's smart. Yeah, that's a surefire yeah, way to stay in. To do it. You can do that shit forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, until you stop working. Yeah. So what was the shittiest job you guys ever had? Recording music. Recording music, being a sound <laughs> engineer. I, it can be shitty, but you know, you just make choices to make it not shitty. I worked first job I ever had. I was 15 years old. I worked at a place in Wakefield, Rhode Island. Um, it was like a hunting, fishing, camping store, and I know absolutely nothing about hunting, fishing, or camping, and I only work there because my sister worked there, and my sister's one of those people who can just do anything. She's one of the smartest people I've ever met, and so they're like, oh, her brother's probably the same way. He's probably useful in some degree, but I'm not, unless I have drumsticks or a guitar in front of me. so I did that. I handled eels, live eels for fishermen. Um, like out, they, out of the ocean? No, we had like a tank mm-hmm. in the alleyway uh, and back, and you know that was that was a lot of fun. What do what do they use live eels for, for as bait? Yeah, yeah, not yeah, not like you know electric eels or anything yeah. like that. You know they're probably like foot long, black and disgusting. That sounds so, awesome. Did that for like two months and they just stopped putting me on the schedule. I don't think I was ever yeah. fired or let go. It was just a subtle this is not working out. Anymore. Yeah. Like you get ghosted, she stops texting you. Yeah. Won't answer your much. phone calls. The only, it's over. 
the only good jobs I've ever had outside of music were um, I worked at a record store for six years back home, and I've been doing some shifts here at Fond Object, and I worked with special needs kids back home too, which was extremely rewarding and eye-opening. Um, but even then, I would spend all day just thinking about whatever shows were coming up, whatever songs I was writing, and every now and then have to remember like, oh, I'm responsible for this other human being's well-being right now, so I should probably pay attention. Mm -hmm. Were you so, like a music teacher? What were you doing? Uh, it really depended on the kid. You know, I did a lot of job training with some kids. Mm -hmm. Other kids, it was pretty much just, you know, working on their motor skills, uh, integrating them into what we call the real world. With, with higher functioning adults and whatnot. Um, Perception. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but it was it was amazing and beautiful, and I met some really unbelievable kids and some who I keep in contact with, which is really great. But other than that, every job I had was bullshit. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, the restaurant jobs. It's really awful at those. Were you a server? I never got to be a server. I always, I could never be good enough or stay at a place long enough to like get fucking promoted to being a server. Were you, like, were you a bus boy? I was a bus boy and I would make like, I would work for like eight hours and get like $22. And then, and they'd be like, yeah, sorry man, slow night. And then, but yeah, I just, I could never care enough or I never felt like myself in those situations. Um, you have to sell yourself in a weird way. Yeah, and I can't, and I can't fake it. Like I just could never, unless it's something that I really care about, and I cared so little about that. Um, Respect. Yes, yeah, I, I was like a cart boy at Gennardi's, which is like a grocery store. Right, I worked at Barnes and Noble. That was actually pretty decent for a little bit. I worked at the bookstore. Yeah, I used to pour. I poured concrete with my mom's boyfriend, you know, for some time before I moved down here. Mm -hmm. Cleaning houses was probably my favorite job because I worked with one other person. We'd have really cool conversations, listen to music. It was quiet. We're in people's houses. They're not home. I like cleaning. That was, was that a bizarre job? Did you do like walking in and seeing someone's like their their ecosystem? Well, what was cool about it is that it was kind of an expensive service. So like the people who were getting the the, the house cleaning like didn't really need their houses cleaned. It was more of just like you know. Cool, like making polishing what was already fine yeah like we weren't going into like disaster areas and cleaning people's stuff it was mm -hmm. like you know it was like luxury maintenance basically um, yeah which was helpful so my mom is actually a house cleaner and yeah, I did a lot of work with her and I, I I worked for her for like two or three years and I'd never really had the luxury that Ron had like <laughs> I the second or third house I ever went to had maggots in the toilet. Oh, man, that's disgusting. So, it's extremely disgusting to see how other people live sometimes. Yeah, I mean, And we, we even see it on tour sometimes. You know, it's like, hey, come back to our place, you can crash with us. And we're like, people's that's great. People's houses are... And then we so walk weird. in and we're like... Yeah. yeah, you never know what you're walking into. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. I mean, that's why, like, yeah, you, you, wanna, you like to get to a point on the road where you can... You meet enough people from doing enough years where you know you have a nice place to stay, or it's like you just get like a decent motel on Priceline or something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> avoid the avoid the shit. Yeah. The one thing about this job that's interesting is is talking to the maintenance guys. Like sometimes when they go out to do to someone's apartment, sometimes I'll, I'll just randomly have to go with them for some reason. And walking in, it's crazy how different people live. Like yeah. it's the same place. They're all probably within a similar economic class because right. it takes a certain amount to make the rent. But you walk in there and some people like my place, you know, I try and keep it pretty clean. I try and keep it nice. Minimalist. Yeah, exactly. And other places you walk into it and it's just like magazines all over the floor. Yeah. Clothes everywhere. Yeah. Clothes everywhere. And it's it just, I think it, it's a reflection of what's also going on inside somebody like how their, their fortress of solitude looks. Yeah, no, of course it is. I mean, I think, I think a clean space makes for a clear head. I think. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Everybody's different, though. Yeah, but, for sure. Yeah. Well, typically, uh, podcast. What I do for the final thing is I have a guest read a quote, and I have this one right here. Cool. Let me see if I actually. It's in my book. It's actually just a short quote, but here you take Oh, okay. Cool. I'm just gonna. I was going to do that. 
Okay. So there it is. I don't know if you can read my horrible handwriting. Yep, gotcha. Okay. Um, do you want me to say the person that said it? I don't know if I have a person who said oh, it. Oh, okay. okay. I know. This. Okay, got it. I just made a note. So. All right, here we go. Be a moral in assessments, be ethical in actions. Perfect. Twitter, website, all that stuff. You want to plug it? Yeah, tw- Twitter uh, is at Ron Gallo. Also, Instagram at Ron Gallo, R O N G A L L O, all one word. Um, on Facebook, rongallomusic.com, you can see all of our tour dates. Um, Heavy Met is out now on all you know local record stores, Spotify, iTunes, Target, Amazon. Just Google it. Um, but yeah. Fantastic. Thank you for coming on.